Hey everyone, welcome to the WPB Health Consulting Podcast, where we bring clarity to coaching. This episode is for all the science-based bodybuilders and coaches who want to understand the intricacies to peaking themselves or their athletes for stage. The following coaches we're featuring on today's podcast are Dominic Cusa, Paul Serafini, Cameron Treek, and myself, Austin Witt. Combined, we all have the academic credentials, including three master's degrees in exercise physiology within muscular research and performance, but we also have the clients to back it up. Combined, these specific coaches have had multiple IFBB pro status wins, WNPF pro wins, many top-level national finishers, and several of the top local state-level finishes, including both class and overall wins. Today's podcast will discuss several huge topics, so I encourage you guys to either stop, record the podcast, um, or even take notes. What we will be discussing today is, first, sustainable gains in in post-prep. Second is the philosophy of contest prep coaching. Third is peaking variables. Fourth is peaking athletes for multiple shows. And last but not least, developing and improving the coach and athlete relationship. If you guys are as excited as I am, then we're about to dive deep into the world of bodybuilding and contest prep here today. So stay tuned. And I can't wait for you to hear how we bring clarity to coaching. As a medical disclaimer, all content found on the WPB Health Consulting pages, including text, images, audio, or other formats, were created for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your medical physician or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've read or heard on this site. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor, go to the emergency room, or call 911 immediately. Reliance on any information provided by WPB Health Consulting, employees, writers, or medical professionals presenting content for publication to WPB Health Consulting is solely at your own risk. The site may contain health or medical-related materials or discussions regarding anabolic agents. If you find these materials offensive, you may not want to consider listening to this podcast. Links to educational content are not created by WP Health Consulting and are taken at your own risk. WPB Health Consulting is not responsible for the claims of external websites and education companies. Thank you. Do it. All right, guys, what's up? This is Austin from the WPB Consulting Podcast. I'm here with the squad here today. These guys are the best of the best coaches um, all on one team, and I want to make sure that they highlight peaking today for you if you're a coach if you're a client um, if you're an enhanced competitor not enhanced etc etc they're going to go into all of these questions here today so guys introduce yourselves whoever wants to go first can and then we'll go from there do you want to go first cam all right man uh cool so uh Long time ago, got into bodybuilding in the Army, left the Army, went to college uh, for exercise science, wanted to uh, be a physical therapist at the time just because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Ended up getting into some of the more uh, science stuff regarding bodybuilding on my own, Got was fortunate enough to get into research in college, got my master's in applied exercise and health science, did some more research there, 
And uh, during that whole master's experience, went into coaching, um, you know, taught, taught strength and conditioning in college as well uh, during my master's program for undergrad. And yeah, man, graduated, got my master's sometime last year. With COVID, it was weird. I just kind of like got my diploma in the mail and shit. <laughs> I don't even know really exactly when I graduated. But, um, and yeah, man, just been a coach for the past few years. All right, thanks, Paul. And, uh, I'm Dominic Kakuza. Uh, I've been coaching for well, going on like five years now. Um, I played soccer most of my life. Uh, my friends were like football players and wrestlers, so they got me into the gym originally, and then uh, I just kind of carried on with it. I was going to pursue dental, um, and then I didn't end up doing it. I went and got my master's in exercise physiology. Uh, I did my whole thesis on uh, muscle protein synthesis and amino acids, and then uh, took all that knowledge and just applied it to nutrition and you know all different aspects of coaching. And now I'm here, and uh, happy to be here. And uh my name's Cameron Cheek. I don't, I don't have the educational background like these folks do, um, but uh, I, had a, I was going to school uh, for biology pre-med at 19. Um, unexpectedly, I had a kid um, and couldn't afford school anymore, so ended up meeting Paul as he kind of gave me a he place. Went to the, he went to the University of Poly Rocket. <laughs> Basically. Um, <laughs> Paul ended up kind of inviting me into his home, giving me a place to live and stuff like that. Um, I was kind of doing some coaching here and wouldn't definitely wouldn't even consider it coaching, trying to coach people here and there. Um, Paul saw that I was doing that and gave me a little hand, um, kind of just led and guided me into the start of coaching, um, which was 2019. Yeah, this will be, I've coached for two years now. Um, so getting into it it's been fun and been awesome being surrounded by these guys and that have crazy amounts of knowledge that you know only a high school diploma can't even break the surface of yeah you and for guys... such a short time man i mean cameron has probably the most rapid growth i think i've ever seen anybody have within the coaching field so and i think easily. many of us have a very uh i guess like non-typical growth rates and getting into this and just really fortunate for how quick things picked up but like Cameron within like his first year or so coaching he started coaching like IFBB pros people went pro under him so he he is playing it off you know and you know just saying make it sound like he's very inexperienced but for the time he's been in he, he does have a lot of experience yeah, I was just about to say that um, for all three of you, you guys are very successful coaches and have coached very elite competitors. And so we're going to talk about that. So I think you guys are the perfect round table here to have here today for peaking. So we're going to talk about peaking variables. So I want to thank you guys first for all being on here. You guys have all had very great accolades working with professional bodybuilders and, and in the field specifically. And let's, let's get into it, guys. How's that sound? Sounds great. Let's Thanks for that. Absolutely. All right. So first, first question here. So, you know, you guys discussed your guys' bodybuilding journey and coaching, and the changes always happen throughout 
bodybuilding, it seems like within the last five, five years specifically, where we're becoming more aware of peaking a little bit um, more efficiently and finding out, you know, what works for different people. So tell me about, let's, let's start with, tell me about your client's progress. If you have a certain client in mind, and we're going to talk about instead of peak week, right, right away, we're going to talk about like gains and losses you, you see post-show and setting your, your clients up for success after the show, because not a lot of uh, coaches talk about that. They, they just kind of get them to peak week and then they're like, all right, there you go. You're on your way. So talk about your client's progress and are you seeing any rates of gains or loss um, post-show and kind of what are you looking for um, in that? Yeah, I, I think uh, Paul and I have talked about this quite a bit, like post-show, where you hear about guys that like gain a bunch of weight after. And let's, let's put the cheating to the side and just focus on like the muscle tissue that they're potentially putting back on. Me and Paul kind of talked about it. And I feel the, I feel the same way that I think a lot of it is lost tissue coming back. Um, you know, there's going to be a point like no matter how enhanced somebody is, there's going to be some rate of loss of tissue. So just because of how hard they're dieting or how high their calorie expenditure is throughout the day with cardio and, you know, all the other things going on, there's going to be some loss of tissue. So I think a big thing we see with guys after a show, you know, let's say hypothetically they're following their diet perfectly. A lot of that gain, I think, is a lot of gains that were lost dieting coming back. And I think, uh, I think people kind of like look at it as like, oh, I'm growing a lot, but you might just be getting back to where you were. And then from that point, we can focus on, you know, reaching a calorie surplus and then divide, then moving into a growth like phase. No, I, I agree. Um, and just to get into that, just, just a little bit, just because we, there's, a decent amount of literature now on just how powerful muscle memory is and how rapid that that can occur rapidly that can occur um even completely detraining for like four or five months straight like with a lot of these studies show within time frames of shy of two months individuals regain all of their muscle or sometimes exceed the, their previous amount of muscle and so I think that's a really good rationale for why we, we can sometimes see such rapid growth post show, especially for those that are enhanced. Whereas a lot of enhanced individuals think that there's some magic rebound process where they're gaining all this new muscle. And especially if somebody is enhanced, um, depending on their experience level um, and their uh, drug load, potentially they could have grown throughout some of their, their, their most of their prep or at least part of it and then maybe towards the tail end they um their deficit is so steep and they're doing so much cardio that maybe some of that is lost and so they end up bigger than they were prior to prep and i think that might explain a good bit of it too just that they grew during that early part does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely i think like what you you highlight there is kind of like what's what do they call it like the bucket theory where you're like you're depleting essentially like if you're top level if your bucket was completely full of like muscle store like essentially like muscle mass in general you're depleting that all the way to like I don't know like 20% left in the bucket then filling it back up and then overcompensating theoretically um post show and it like you said depending on what 
you know, they're on post-show, you know, you could see different rebounding uh, rates for sure. And, and I, I think too, even those that, you know, if they come, if they're coming down to some kind of TRT dose immediately after the show too, they're still going to have those diminishing doses that are more than likely going to be taking, I don't know, anywhere from two to five weeks, depending on what compounds they're using just to leave their system. And, you know, coming out of a show where at that final stretch for most people, you know, you're attacking fat loss from any angle possible on that last month or two. And you immediately go straight into, even if it's just maintenance calories, something where an environment is going to be supporting muscle growth. And with Paul talking about how muscle memory can really come back and uh, help hard to that muscle growth coming, um, you know, you take all these factors that are just going to be feeding into it. You're just going to be, you know, filling right back up and swelling back up. What Cam says is huge because we have to remember, like, even if, because there's a lot of debate within the enhanced community, whether, hey, do I stay on these higher doses? Do I go ahead and try and get healthier faster and come back to HRT or cruise? And one consideration is, one, there's food. Your sleep is probably gradually improving post-show. Your training is improving. So even if you were to bring those doses, that drug burden down, you still have an increase in many um, vectors of anabolism, basically, com coming out of your post-show. So. And another thing, too, that I'll kind of touch on just briefly about, you know, people, they're deciding to stay on post-show or not. You know, one, I would say if you're going to probably get blood work done ASAP and make sure that stuff isn't just completely messed up, it's probably going to look bad regardless if you just did a contest prep. But it's not going to take much of anything to set you up for a positive environment for muscle regain after the show. You know, if someone's really worried about their health and stuff like that, I wouldn't spend, you know, another four to six weeks at higher doses just to try and grow more or get that muscle back because it's probably and more than likely not even needed to have your muscle uh, regain. Yeah. Yeah, I really like those those comments you make based on like the the client's outcomes of, you know, truthfully like health or, you know, are is it more is it worth it to push more aggressively post-show? I like, I like what you mentioned there. That's really good. So yeah. moving into the, to the next question here, this is where we're going to get into peaking specifically. Um, but let's talk about in, this is, I don't know if you guys are all Actually, the same real quick. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off and be no, you're anything, good. but I thought it'd be cool. Cause I think Cam has maybe changed his views on this or, has been with it just being post-show and Cam having a, a large competitive roster um, in terms of the actual like rates of game. Like, what do you like to see oh, yeah. with those Cam post-show? Uh, honestly, I focus more so on the client's mental state and quality of life after a show rather than any kind of physical change or improvements going on. Um, unless they've got a show coming up right afterwards, anything physique wise is not necessarily put on the back burner, but that's where mental state health and quality of life is going to trump any kind of, okay, like let's maximize the gains going on here. Um, because any client that's worked with me, um, or does work with me or Paul, 
they've kind of been set up where they're in it for the long haul and they've kind of bought in and they've realized, you know, we don't just set people up to really just push and push and push year after year. Um, so I would rather, you know, take, take what's needed post-show in terms of food and raising body weight and body fat to come to a spot where they're more comfortable and where they can try and find some kind of homeostasis within life. Um, and then later, you know, if, if they got a little sloppy, we could clean it up, you know, later down the road or whatever it may be. Cause there, we've always got time, you know, you don't always have your health if you neglect it. Um, but typically I would say anywhere around seven to 10%, um, body weight gain within that first month or six weeks post-show. Um, a lot of people think that they're super run down just because their food is super low. Um, but for the most part, most people don't have a settling point low enough where they can just maintain a super lean body weight and be totally fine. Um, a lot of the times it's increasing that body weight and it doesn't matter how high your calories are. If you're too lean and you're below your settling point, you're still going to feel like, you know, you're dieting and starving yourself. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I like what you mentioned there with uh, seven to ten percent is a good rough estimate, but also like the quality of life you mentioned, like tracking those variables. And so, are you guys recommending like uh, like labs specifically at a certain time period after? Uh, I know you probably are, but is there like a like a certain time frame that you're you're looking for with those? And then also so matching usually, that with the quality of life. Uh, I usually do. Uh... I usually do labs about four to five weeks after the show. Um, I, I'm pretty big into health supplement protocols and, uh, and Paul and Cam are starting to use them more and more too. Uh, so like I'll, while they're on their prep, they're following my health supplement protocol post show. There's even a little bit more added to it. And then I'll get blood work done um, about four or five weeks just cause like, I don't, I don't usually keep guys, or girls on post-show I immediately go to HRT just because like we talked about half-lives they carry over there's no point in doing that um and then quality of life's like huge like if a client keeps cheating post-show like I don't I never pick at them about it like because at that point do I want to make their psyche you know eat at them that they're not following the plan right now or do I want them to just slowly get better like in a mental state and then when we get blood work done, they feel relieved. They're back to normal. You know, a lot of a lot of their blood markers look improved or even better. So those are things that I like to do. Um, and I'm sure that the, the, these guys are the same way, pretty much. Uh, we're we're all pretty similar in our thoughts. But I like to do blood work about four or five weeks post show after they follow like a good health supplement protocol. Um, one thing I'll add, and I know Paul. Paul and I, when it comes to males um, and post-show, we, we have a little bit more time that we'll wait before getting bloods, and I'll let Paul touch on that. Um, but when it comes to females, um, if they're an enhanced athlete um, and coming out of a show, a lot of the times women are going to lose their menstrual cycle or lose regularity with it. Um, and one thing that we like to see is one, when it comes to females anyways, they're usually only on for six to eight weeks at a time. Uh, when we're coaching them, we don't just leave someone on for 12, 18 weeks, or we haven't before. Um, so typically we'll wait, you know, 
eight to 12 weeks post-show anyways before bringing in any more kind of, uh, or considering bringing in any more kind of uh, supplements or compounds. But another thing that we really like to see first is seeing at least two regular menstrual cycles um, coming back from the female and trying maintaining that or just establishing and recognizing that things have been balanced out and regulated. Um, and it, two is at least enough to say, okay, things seem to be regulating because one, you, usually that first cycle that a woman has post-show is either their flow is a lot heavier, they may be experiencing um, side effects to a higher degree in terms or symptoms, I guess you might say. Um, with PMSing, uh, and then usually that second one is when things are a little bit more regular, cramps and stuff aren't as bad, flow is more regular. Um, so one isn't enough for us to certainly be like, oh yeah, you know, things have returned to normal because that first cycle isn't usually normal. Yeah, and a lot of times it'll take about 30 to 60 days. Yeah, I mean, there's we've had some females come out of their prep we, we've had some females at the end of their prep still have somewhat of a menstrual cycle. It might be a little lighter or something or shorter, um, but usually post-show 30 to 60 days, they get their first one. Maybe it's a little light or uh, in the opposite spectrum. And then from there on, you know, we're talking like maybe four months post-show, three months post-show. We're like, all right, we've had a couple of normal menstrual cycles. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, marker, especially with, like you said, two regular i think those either way you guys frame it i think that's a good validation marker where you're like okay well we're, we're seeing more progress and growth coming out of the show which is really good i like that um but yeah guys so let's get into to peaking specifically um when it comes to peaking what variables do you guys like to, to stay most consistent on leading into peak week um, versus variables you guys like to modify the most or play with the most. So what what we might touch the least going into peak week or that last month or so? Yep, correct. So what do you guys like to keep the most consistent or maintained? And then what are the variables that you like to play with or really use the most? You want to start with consistency? And Paul, yeah. you guys, training is a big one of those. Um, I mean, dude, it's just so, I, that's a wild question uh, when, when you sit down and think about it, because if you were to ask, hey, what do you like to change going into peak week? It's like, oh, fucking everything. Um, <laughs> and it's like, uh, to an extent, right? I mean, yeah. uh, because even your, your training may, cha may change, because yeah, even like with Cam saying, like I try through most of prep to keep training fairly similar. Mm -hmm. But at certain points, you know, like let's say we start our prep doing back squats at some point that just may be so fatiguing, a lot sure. to get through. And I'm like, all right, let's switch to Swift machine. Let's switch to hack squats. Let's switch to something that is going to cause less systemic fatigue or even just stuff like warming up as a consideration. Like for myself, warming up for back squats takes a lot longer than warming up for a Smith squat or a hack squat or a leg press. Um, and then going into peak week, you know, part of, I, I write a lot of programming for a good number of like Cam's clients. Um, 
what I, I will often do, the basically the whole idea there is just to not cause a lot of muscle damage, not do anything too new. So one thing that we're, we are trying to keep the same is movement selection, very similar movement selection, because if we throw a bunch of new movements in there, we might have uh, maybe more muscle damage than we wanted. We might extend the time to recovery with muscle damage. We may get some uh, edema, things like that. And so part of our job during that peak week uh, point is to reduce fatigue and stress. So um, basically with that, as far as training goes, uh, keeping our efforts a little uh, lower. So maybe aiming for something between three to five RIR, depending on how close we are to the show, reducing volume since we know volume is our um, greatest contributor to fatigue. Mm -hmm. And uh, potentially loads, but I like, you know, we, we may play with rep ranges and loads. I mean, it all just depends to how fatigued the person is. Like, have they been losing strength um, during this tail end? Have we been digging them harder with cardio, with their deficit, which most people are just going to be in that circumstance, right? Mm -hmm. So, Some of the things that uh, I like to make sure that consistency is built into peak week or in terms of built up to peak week so that it's already kind of taken care of and knocked out is one um you know all the posing stuff when it comes to the start of peak week it, it should already be done you know posing routines um those final little adjustments to poses until i usually get there in person and i'm able to slightly play with it for the most part i like posing to be consistent because that way for you know progress photos during peak week when you're seeing them every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, you're gonna to wanna to make sure that they've already built and acquired the skill with hitting those poses, you know, flaring out certain muscles and getting them to pop. So that way you're able to differentiate, you know, if you changed one thing, you're able to see it versus, oh, is he posing his legs there? Are they hitting their hamstrings? Or, you know, did the change with whatever variable make them softer? Um, so that's one thing that's always good to have consistent um, as much as possible. Another thing would be food choices. Um, you know, during peak week, there's going to be maybe one to two small things near the end. If, you know, we're really trying to get food in and calories, uh, we want to find dense foods um, with calories. But for the most part, you're going to want your foods um, to be pretty consistent um, going into peak week. Uh, Sleep schedule, uh, pretty consistent going into peak week because you don't want to be trying to fix your sleep, um, you know, the night before a show or that be super messed up. Um, and another thing that I, I think is pretty helpful um, going into peak week, if possible, is meal timing. Um, just eating around the same times each day because those final days going into shows, we'll be looking at an athlete a couple hours after every meal. So kind of being in routine with sleep and eating and stuff like that just makes for a lot more consistent um, and well-versed communication between the athlete when it comes time for check-ins and eating and being on schedule. Yeah, that's awesome. I think you highlight a lot of really good things there, Cam, like the skill and just being able to be confident, you know, moving into the show on a regular routine without throwing a lot, lot of environmental fatigue it, you know mm -hmm. what I mean absolutely yeah because there, there's a lot especially you know earlier in an athlete's career those first couple times getting on stage 
there's going to be so much going through their head that they feel like it's going on. That's really not as chaotic as they might think it is, you know, like making it for tanning appointments and, you know, checking into the hotel and the athlete check-ins and stuff like that, where, you know, I already know that the athlete's going to feel super overwhelmed by it. And if we can practice as many things as possible leading up to peak week to build consistency, um, you know, that, that's something that I feel like is really going to benefit the athlete and their mental space going into the show to make, make sure that one, you know, it's a process that we can execute and bring the athlete in their best, but two, also just make sure that they have a good time. You know, they've just worked their ass off for, you know, however long into the show, that's their one day where I hate when an athlete is super stressed on show day. Cause it's like, yo, let me be the one that stresses out. You go have fun. Like you, you deserve this, like be an athlete today. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people like, this is my job to stress, not yours. Yeah. Like that's why you hired me. I'm the one that's supposed to be stressing, not you. Um, I, I, a lot of these things I like to keep the same too. Uh, like the guys said, um, one thing I do, uh, is I try to lock in their water intake about a month out. So kind of consistently drinking the same, within a range, maybe a couple, 10 to 20 ounces different, but keep that steady. Um, then usually around like three weeks out, I like to keep sodium the same, consistent on each meal, consistent on each meal. Um, and then uh, potassium too is something we like to keep steady throughout it all. And then all that changes, uh, like if I decide to use a diuretic or not. Um, but those are all things I like to really keep constant from a, from a good amount of time away from peak week. So by the time we get to peak week, their body's really, you know, this is their norm. This is the body's norm. So like a slight little bit of increase or a slight little bit of decrease, it can go a long way. Yeah. And I guess going into uh, variables that we change, you know, piggybacking off of Dom, establishing those baseline levels with you know water sodium depending on what diuretic you're using potassium as well um, but establishing some kind of baseline so that you're able to increase off of that in percentages um, is super helpful because um, all those you know they correlate together in some way um, you know if one goes up either the other has to go up with it and correlate or maybe one has to go down just depending on the look that you're wanting to bring and achieve with an athlete. Um, but you never kind of want to have a shot in the dark in terms of, you know, fluid intake and sodium and what's norm and what's not norm. Um, because a lot of the times things are going to start backfiring, you know, a day or two days after that, once you start changing things, if you haven't established a baseline. Um, I think other things that we may kind of change and go into the show um, in terms of food, there's, so many types of ways that you can peak somebody um, in terms of whether you want to increase food at the start of the week, build up as the week goes on. Um, you know, you may have an athlete that has to make weight 12 hours out and you have to rapid backload them and probably pull your hair out in the process of trying to accomplish that. Um, but, you know, a lot of times people, you'll hear them talk about, you know, change as little things as possible. Um, and I, I think that holds true early on because that's not the worst thing that you can do going into a show. Um, but the more advanced you get with athletes and the more that you know how to turn the dials on things and tweak little things, 
the more variables you have control over and can play with, if you can be successful with it, it can make for some pretty crazy things over a peak week. Um, you know, a lot of people will talk about like, oh, like there's not much changes that can go on during peak week. Like I, I wouldn't change a lot. And early on into coaching and putting athletes on stage, I fully agreed with that. And I stuck with more of a conservative route and it worked out really well. Um, but the, the more that I learned and more I got into it, the more peaks I started seeing stuff. And I was like, man, like there's not just a tiny little percent that can change on peak week. Like if you do it right, like there can be a lot that happens on peak week. Yeah. I think the common denominator though, for a lot of that is the athlete just has to be in shape first. Mm -hmm. If the athlete's not in shape, people think peak week is like this magical week and they're going to lose the little bit of water on their lower back that they think is water, but it's just fat. So, like, I think the number one priority always is athlete needs to be in shape, and then we can start manipulating things. And, and I think another thing that's very important whenever you are trying to, you know, crank the dials and really dial somebody in for a show um, is, you know, you always want somebody to be perfect, and you always want to push perfection with an athlete. And I've found myself as a coach, just how as an athlete may have body dysmorphia for themselves, it's easy to do that as a coach looking at a client too. You know, there's been times where I've peaked somebody and I look back and I'm like, man, like they, they were looking money there. Why was I like beating myself up about, oh, I need to get them just a little bit tighter, a little bit sharper. And I've found that, you know, if, if you try and make them look 90%, 95% and just sit on it, you can usually do really well and have a good outcome by letting everyone else trying to push that a hundred percent and, you know, fucking up, you know? Um, so yeah, I went off on a tangent. I mean, have you ever had a, a circumstance cam? Like, I know like this has happened to me where I'm like, okay, I bet like this is good, but let's do this. Let more food or more sodium. Let, let's just a little more sodium. I bet we can get fuller. And then you just really fuck it up. And you're like, I don't even know what to do to fix this now. Yeah. yeah it could be it's happened to all of us. You only get good at peaking with failing peaks. <laughs> I like what you said there with uh, really identifying like the 90 to 95% were in discussing like almost body dysmorphia as a coach. I mean, like sometimes you can see that where you're just like, damn, like just one more, like you guys were saying, one more percent, just keep pushing it. And that's the, that's the nature of it though. Like that's how most, I feel like most compet if you've competed, you're like that too, where you're yeah. like, all right, all right, let's get there. Let's, let's do one more percent. You know what I mean? Cause Dom and Paul are the ones, you know, anytime that we have an athlete in peak week and going into a show, you know, we're always blowing each other up with the check-in photos and, getting feedback from one another and they know countless times where I've probably been sitting there super stressed out and I'm sitting in the crowd like oh they look soft or they're gonna lose leg lines and they get up on stage and it's just like oh never mind <laughs> uh, well I mean because sometimes we forget to what the like a, a good set of stage lights you know like you, you can fuck up a peak a little bit and they get on stage and you're like oh you're not gonna be able to tell <laughs> beige lights, a glaze, all those things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you guys hit that very, very well. And I think like coming from the coaching side of things, like it's very, like, like you said, you have to be able to understand like when you do mess up, but like how to improve. 
So I actually want to build off of that here really quick. Have you had an athlete? Let's talk about that since, I mean, it's one of our questions here, but have you had an athlete where let's say they have multiple shows relatively within close within the same time period and you peak them, whether it's, you know, you push that hundred percent or you get very, very close and you're like, man, for the next show, maybe like they step off stage and you're like, ah, oh, they look really, really good. But like, have them improve into the next show. Have you guys had that and explain your experience with that? And how, how do you kind of work with the athlete on that in those situations? Dom, if, if you and Paul want to go first, y'all can. Yeah. I mean, I had, um, I had Ryan, uh, he did junior USAs and then he did nationals. There was a good amount of time between then, but it was two completely different peaking methods uh, for junior USAs. You know, I, I tried to push like sodium a bit more, um, different kinds of carbs that he might, he didn't use too much just because I wanted to uh, reduce food volume. So I was using things like honey and stuff like that, that he wasn't too used to. Um, and then that peak went pretty bad. And then uh, we got back, he came out of the show, we went into a diet break um, and then he started responding really well. Fast forward to nationals, he was he was a good amount leaner. He was probably about 10 pounds lighter. So I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. Um, but for that show, I didn't push sodium hard. Um, you know, I actually did a water, I actually stopped his water intake, which is something I usually never do. Um, and just doing that and trying to listen to him and work with him on what's worked in the past for him, because he's been a competitor for a while. Uh, we kind of worked together and found a, a good strategy for his peaks. Um, something that I can like concretely go off of now and, you know, use that same kind of method, maybe tweak a few things here and there. Like we learned a few things too, after like he probably should have had a little bit of water the day of the show. Um, he, you know, we were just going back and forth, but his look improved a lot. Uh, but it was just a completely different approach to his peak week. No diuretic the second time. Um, we just did a lot of different things and we definitely saw an improvement uh, with changing up the style. That's why I don't like to, you know, people always ask me like, how do you peak people? And I'm like, well, I have like the general thing I like to do, but it's mm -hmm. not what I do with everybody. Cause everybody sure. as cliche as it sounds is completely different. Right. And I'll, I'll say for uh, you know, my answer, it's going to be with both Paul and I, cause this one, it was uh, his girlfriend. He had prepped. And I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> he asked me to, to come on uh, board with him with peaking and just help with that. And this girl is definitely the hardest person to peak I have ever worked with. Uh, we did three different shows. Um, so we, we kind of based information off, you know, in the past, what they had done in their, their peak weeks before from years prior. And you know, she was a lot leaner this year too. And I think that made the most difference. Um, and so the first show that we had, um, it was a qualifier. It was her best look to date at that point. Um, she won the overall, but again, she was leaner than she was. And I think there, she was the leanest she had ever been. And that's what I think made it end up being the best look she had. Um, and she looked good and did fine, but Paul and I both knew her look. There was something funky with it. The way that she had responded to the diuretic was outside of the norm of what most have responded with uh, or how they responded to it. Um, and went into the second show, made changes, 
still realized that there was some stuff that we needed to tweak and play with. And then that third show, you know, I think uh, that that was the one that we were really able to bring a, a tight look. Um, we didn't push fullness as hard, um, I don't think, and just kind of set more conservative with it. Uh, we held off on diuretics on the third show, didn't we, Paul? I believe we did. Americans, yeah, held off on yeah. diuretics. Um, we didn't we didn't tweak stuff or try and push in one direction hard or the other. Just kind of sat on it and just sat patient with things, and that ended up bringing her best look. Um, but yeah, that was super neat to have three shows with her and continually improve show to show to show. Um, but yeah, man, those, those peaks that you see that like whoever out there, it's, and they're nailing like perfect peaks. They probably had some fucked up peaks in the past to have to get to that point. Yeah. That's the cool thing about having somebody compete in shorter time frames or multiple times throughout a year. Like you get another shot and something always goes wrong. Like, even if it's not necessarily the peak, like it, the tan. The posing somebody forgets to pose like their quads on stage you're like how did you do that you know and you get another chance to fix all the little things or big things and uh yeah it was just crazy with christina my girlfriend um because she literally i i think is one of the hardest people in the world that i have ever seen to peak because she can wake up quad separated glute striations you feed her she looks really good that day, um, and then she wakes up crispy, and then just like all of a sudden, or just randomly out of nowhere, she like loses all her leg lines. Looks like she put on like 10 or 15 pounds of body fat, and you're like, what just happened? Like, oh, what yeah. did we do? <laughs> I remember what we did now, because usually, you know, you peak somebody, and I think an, an approach that a lot of coaches do is they'll have, you know, two, three, three days out, they start working on filling up an athlete and then starting to pull back where things kind of clean up a little bit. And with her, when we did it, um, you know, she did clean up some, but it, it just, it still wasn't the same. Um, you know, she didn't clean up as well, nor hold fullness um, in that second show. And then the third one, again, like Paul was saying, we noticed on days where we were loading her at two to three days out in prior shows, you know, two, three meals in, she was looking good. You know, she still held great leg line. She was hard, full. And so going into that third show, you were, we were like, you know what? It's super unconventional, but on paper, this is when she looks best. And we wrote out those same meals that we loaded her up on for the show prior, where she looked good at three days out, like three meals in. And we just timed it for the next show on show day, where we started her fill out on show day morning and woke up at like, 5, 6 a.m. at that first meal and timed it so she had about two to three meals in before going on stage and she dieted straight into the show up until show day and it worked out well. I think, you know, she she could have been a little bit fuller, but, um, you know, at that point, our main focus and priority was just those leg lines. You know, if she got on stage flat, but her quads were in, it was going to be a win for us. Um, and you know, we ended up being able to bring a little bit of fullness and still keep those leg lines. And at the end of the day, that was her best look she had ever brought. And so we were both really happy with it. And I know she was extremely happy. So, yeah, I like what you you guys mentioned with the, I know you we all experience this as coaches, but the, the approach to the timing, it's all different. So I know like we're going to talk about variables that 
Um, we like to change, but I like the way you, you guys were talking about somewhat consistency of figuring out like what's timing working best for certain athletes with the variables you do have. And that's, I think the art of it too, with your, you're just visually seeing things that are different, but also noticing patterns along the way. I think you guys really do do a good job of that, but let's go into this a little bit further. Um, so what are you, what are some things that you guys see in other coaches or competitors who do their own peaks that you see that they they they're doing a peak week and they make mistakes what's the most common mistakes that you guys see from Um, your your side of things I would say and and it's not spilling over with too much food either that I, I would think I think that's where a lot of people think like oh they fed them too hard you know they spilled over I think the biggest and most common mistake that people run into and that I've ran into myself is either changing water and not salt or changing salt and not water and realizing that those have to correlate in some, you know, fashion. Um, You know, you see people just completely pull out water and sometimes that's not a bad idea, but if you're going to do that, you need to respect what sodium and potassium are going to do too. If you don't pull, you know, if you don't adjust those based off of how you're adjusting water. Um, So I would probably say that's the most common mistake is probably changing variables without being knowledgeable enough and to realize what other things need to change too. Um, Just kind of doing it, just to do it without realizing, okay, this is why we're doing it. And these are the other cascade of events that are going to happen and things that need to conform to the initial change that you made. Yeah. I think, uh, I think too, I have two, uh, like improper diuretic use, not understanding the pharmacology behind the diuretic, you know, emitting uh, mineral for some reason. And then it just throws off the entire look. You know, I've seen people go hypokalemic. I've seen people be hyperkalemic, all just because. (laughs) So we've seen people, you know, online talking about like, oh, somebody's died because of diuretic use. Yeah. And and then I think, uh, I think it could ruin a look because potassium's off or sodium's off. Um, And then I think a big one is introducing foods that are really off the client's spectrum. Like you could probably get away with like adding something new, like a rice cake, for example, if they didn't have rice cakes, their whole diet, it's an easy digestible food. It's not really going to mess with them too much. So introducing like small new foods that are easily digestible are probably going to be fine, but you'll throw, you know, you'll throw like a cheeseburger all of a sudden, like, yeah, most, maybe most can get away with it, but somebody might not have been dieting on high fats and it might mess up their stomach the day before or it just might completely stress them out because then they're constipated or something's going on because they threw this whole entire new food group in out of nowhere. Um, like I've seen bad peaks like from my friends where like they'll take a diuretic, they will stop drinking water for whatever reason, and then will eat like a crazy double cheeseburger the day before. Then they wake up looking like ass. Yeah. And I think a lot of it's because they just – they misuse the diuretic, they introduce the food they haven't had in four months, and then they kind of just ruined like their entire look. So I think that's a big one is just 
like a lot of just bro science with diuretics where they think they can just take like, I'll take a half a diazide the night before. I'll be dry tomorrow, but completely miss the important factors of where sodium needs to be, where potassium needs mm -hmm. to be. And then, uh, and then just kind of ruin the look, which is a shame too, because as we know, diuretics are powerful for most of the time for heart failure patients right. <laughs> and mm -hmm. we're using them just to lose some subcutaneous water. So uh, they're powerful things. And I think people don't give them the respect they should have. And one thing super, uh, super important and helpful that I've learned from Dom, and it, it's very simple is you always put out what you put in. And, you know, a lot of people like, let's say they're looking watery or they're trying to dry out more and they've already started pulling back on their water and they're just like, Oh, I'm going to keep cutting it, cut it more. Or, you know, they're holding water and think just cutting their sodium is just what it's going to be to help fix it. And a lot of the times, you know, you're always going to excrete what you have an excess of. So if you've already, you know, too early on, start cutting back on water, cutting back on sodium, your body's going to recognize that you don't have adequate amounts of this. So anything else that comes in, your body is going to try and hold on to and preserve. Um, so, you know, if you start cutting those things too early and realize like, oh, like this is getting funky and try and go back in and fix it your body's going to overcompensate and try and make up for what's been lost and not been in to their plan the past, you know, day or few hours or whatever it may be. Yeah. Like you could see like, uh, like one of the biggest things I see backstage is like, I can't catch a pump. Well, you probably can't catch a pump because you haven't had much potassium. You've been waterlogging your body. You're probably electrolyte depleted. Like, and you're not adding these things because somebody told you don't have salt the day before or don't do this or don't do that. Um, and then it's just, and then even just a quick, easy fix, you give them some new salt and they catch a pump all of a sudden. Like those are just things that I think are small, which most people don't know any better. They're just maybe self prepping themselves and they're just going off what they read. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think those are some of the biggest mistakes I see in self coaching and and some coaching uh, like advice and just, you know, things like that. And, and same thing with hearing those conversations backstage, you know, you, you'll hear people talking and, and being back there pounding food and they're like, yeah, I'm struggling to get a pump. And I'm, I've had all this this morning and, you know, this candy and this and this, and it's like, what's the one thing I didn't hear you say? And it was, you know, more than likely water. And it's like, you're not being able to catch a pump, but you've been eating all this food this morning Re rethink your thought process you've been giving yourself all this food and it's not doing anything what have you not been giving yourself and a lot of the times it just comes down to some kind of electrolyte balance or just hydration oh and and to, sorry i'm piggybacking but um people don't count the sodium potassium in the foods they eat like you don't realize how much potassium is like in chicken or how much like sodium could be like in um I don't know. And like a bag of chips. I see people, I see people eating chips backstage all the time, but then they're throwing salt on top of the chips. And I'm like, well, the chips had enough sodium to begin with. I don't know if that was a smart idea, you know, or people carb loading on potatoes. They, the, one of the biggest things I've seen is people carb load on potatoes, take a diazide. They have way too much potassium in their blood because they're re, they're, they're reabsorbing more of it. Mm -hmm. instead of excreting it mm -hmm. so then they end up like this weird electrolyte shift 
because they don't want to take too much sodium because they think it'll make them retain water. And that was one that one of my friends did really bad. He carb loaded just on potatoes, took a diazide. And I told him, I said, I think you ruined your look because you had way too much potassium with a potassium sparing diuretic. Yeah, I've seen the same thing. Somebody carb loading on potatoes while taking aldactone. And it's like, oh man, like, mm, you don't want to do that, buddy. Yeah. Yep. Paul, have you seen any anything specifically bouncing off their ideas that um, backstage? I'd like or? to actually bring up because I think you mentioned from the clients end too. So speaking from like what we're seeing and mistakes that clients are making uh, on that day is. Uh, for some reason, clients get to their hotel room and they forget everything they know about lighting and how to fucking take a photo. And you're just like, I can't even, can you, and, and you, you like blow an hour or two of your day. Like, no, that's not good. Try and face this direction. You get a photo. That's not what I asked. And then, uh, you know, hopefully you nail it at some point and then just clients not being ready and you want them to rest. Right. And uh, they end up getting 10 or 12,000 steps that day because they're, they're like, oh, I got to like, of course, they have to do like very basic stuff like sign in, weigh in, whatever, um, you know, maybe even run down and check the schedule or whatever. Uh, but then they're just not ready. And you're like, why the, why the hell are you at Walmart right now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's such a valid comment. We, uh, in our we had a competitor in the my last show and she did the same thing. She was just so panicked. I think that's going back to another question we had earlier, but she was like, I was like, just sit in your room and do just chill for today. And like, just, we're going to stick with that. And then also very, like you said, with pictures, but yeah, they were doing 12, 15,000 steps in one day. And you're like, Oh God, now, now we have a lot of things that we have to, reassess here and so no because that absolutely man i noticed like for instance speaking uh for my show and just throughout my diet like filling out was really hard just getting a good look is just really hard when you're walking around all day nailing like ten thousand steps you'd be sitting there coaching and you know it'd be a day where you already had planned for your steps to be low and stuff like that and you you've been like you'd be on your dieting calories you know, no crazy high food that day. And it's just been sitting at the desk all day working. You'd be like, dude, Cam, look at my legs. Like, look, look at my dad <laughs> in traps right yeah. now for no reason, just because he was sitting around. Yeah, we'd have like higher calorie days, thousand, you know, plus calories higher than my dieting days. But because I would be so busy getting steps, training and all that, like I wouldn't even come close to the fullness that I would get on my dieting calories, just sitting around all day. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I also, yeah, I also want to highlight what Dom was saying with the, the diuretic specifically and the going off of the potato example with in hyperkalemia and things along those lines. I, I mean, there's the horror stories of contest prep people getting going into like VTAC backstage. And yeah. so I think it's very, very important if you're uh, knowing like, Hey, here's what, is going to happen going into peak week if I'm using these correctly. Talking with someone who's actually qualified as a coach, that's why I want to throw a plug in because you guys are very good at what you do. And that's why we're talking about this here today because the, the risk with that is super scary, obviously, if you are doing it incorrectly. Um, because 
yeah, I've heard the horror stories. Not, I haven't seen it, thank God, but the horror stories behind, like, behind stage and people going into these crazy arrhythmias when they're trying to get a pump on, they're like, what the hell's going on with my, my body? Or maybe even not in that moment, but what about post-show once they start shoving a bunch of food and water in without any regard? Yeah. Paul's like, I've been there. We, uh, (laughs) he's a diuretic into his show and we planned a vacation literally the day after a show down in uh, universal in Orlando. And it was, what was your show? It was in October, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was still hot down in Florida. And he had came off, he was taking aldactone for a week. So it had been built up in, in his system and came straight off of it over at Universal. And Paul, you know, slammed food like anybody else would post-show. Water super high, salt super high. And I look at him and I'm just like, Oh man, dude, Paul walked out to us and he was texting me. He was like, dude, something's not, not, something's not right. He comes out there super red, veiny everywhere. <laughs> we had gotten like flash pass wristbands where at the start. Not of the in a show, cool way. No. It did, It wasn't like this guy had a cheat meal and looked cool. It was like, dude, I, you don't, you, you look, look weird. <laughs> like we, we had gotten flash pass wristbands at the start of the trip and, you know, he put it on was totally fine. And then that day, he comes out. He's got, like, skin and water. He texts me when he got back to the hotel, like, coming up over the band. We were like, oh, man. Dang. Yeah, because we just we – were we walked, like, 20,000 steps in, like, the Florida heat, like, a day or two after my show. So, yeah, that – it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> you got to plan your vacations in the cold. <laughs> what it sounds like. Um but dang, that's crazy. So, guys, let's talk about um, as coaches, especially with Peak Week, do you guys like to have – I mean, most coaches that I know like to have their competitors come in early. Um, or do you guys, you know, like to practice a Peak Week? And what's your kind of time frame with that if you can do a practice Peak Week for a show? Um, so that's something that I – uh, I started, I, I used diuretics for the first time this year, um, being, and so last year I hadn't even used them my first um, year of coaching, and so Dom introduced me to them a little bit, and I was like, okay, cool, um, first time using one, I don't want to do it in a show setting, and so my girlfriend at the time, um, and we were living together, so it was super easy to kind of do like a trial peak with her, and so we were able to use the diuretic, you know, manipulate sodium, water, potassium, however we needed, and ran the whole entire thing as if we were going to do a show um, and just treated it like, oh, you know, it's peak week. We, we did things at two days out, one day out, and then woke up that Saturday and just tried to, you know, have an estimated show time where we would just take photos. And that ended up translating over to um, – I've had competitors kind of come over for a weekend and stay with me and we've kind of run like a trial peak um, and played around with that. And so that's been super helpful if able. Um, And that's part of like why, if possible, having athletes a little ready early where one, it's important because you're risking the, the leaner you get the higher risk that you're going to have for muscle loss. So you're not really wanting to have to dig crazy hard there at the end. Um, You know, whether it be 
do that you don't have enough time or, or whatever the case may be, because it's going to set things up for, for a suboptimal circumstance. Um, but, you know, like we kind of talked about where it took three shows for us to really kind of get a grasp on how to peak Paul's girlfriend, you know, having those, those weeks where, you know, you, you can afford to refeed somebody super hard and see how they fill out and not worry about losing time or having to make up ground. Um, it, it's super nice to have somebody ready or not re as ready as what I would consider ready for like, you know, four or five weeks out where at that point, it's just kind of like, okay, cool. You know, we're four weeks out. Let's go ahead and establish a sodium and water baseline here. You know, we're riding that out for a week or so. And there's been a point where I've had an athlete be like, eh, I think I need a little bit more sodium. So it might not even be a trial peak that we're doing. It may just be like, okay, cool. Like, we're just going to adjust sodium this week and bring it up a little bit and see how the look improves. And been able to kind of realize and recognize like, oh, cool. Like if they weren't ready early to the point where, you know, when you're adjusting electrolytes and, and balance with those, you got to be pretty lean to recognize the difference. Um, and so, you know, having somebody, you know, ready early or what I would consider just ready for four to five weeks out, it, it allows for manipulations of small variables that only show through if you're on schedule to truly be lean for a show. Yeah. I like to, uh, like if somebody's dieting pretty hard, I like to do like a mock carb up. I won't really mess with the water and stuff, but I just kind of want to see like, how's their response to like a few really, really high carb days. Um, just to see how they fill out, how I might need to push more later on just to give me a gauge. Like, okay, they dealt with a thousand grams of carbs pretty well. Um, now I know towards the end, I can use probably close to a thousand or even more um, just to see how they do. Um, and then I'll usually do that after like a hard dig. So it's kind of almost like a good refeed for them to pull them out and then, uh, and then go back into like a dieting phase. Yeah. And, and then another thing I just remembered because uh, we're in the middle of off season, I'm having to like regather things that I did last year. Um, some of the things, you know, having somebody ready or just not really having to worry about digging super hard when you're sitting at like four, five weeks out or so, um, is I'll, I'll start having periods where I'm refeeding somebody, you know, and at this point where, like, for example, uh, and it's something I'm going to start doing more because I did it with him, uh, was JT competed at Battle of Texas. And I believe it was around three and a half weeks out. He sent photos every single day until the show, except for the day his daughter was born. And he didn't know what he was doing diet-wise until I got photos. And so there would be periods where, you know, we would start with this refeed point here, you know, assess, okay, cool, that was enough food to fill him out. Now let's see how many days at what caloric intake it takes for him to go flat again. And so we would, you know, figure out like, okay, this much food fills you out. And we only have this many days before we have to feed you again. And so we would fill them out, realize that, you know, it's going to take, let's say, three days before you get flat. Let's give it a fourth day to kind of dig into a little bit more fat loss. And then we're filling you back up again. And the leaner somebody gets, the more you realize that 
you know, you can't stick with that same plan and structure. They're going to need more food on those refeed days. They're probably going to only make it two dieting days before getting flat again, especially if you have somebody that's pretty lean and can eat a lot, um, which in that case, that was him. Um, those are definitely s some nice things to be able to look at and view going into a show um, because it showed us too, you know, he needs this many calories to fill out. You know, we, we're going to start having to follow around and near that range when it comes time to fill out for the show. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point of the adjustments that you're making and how well that you know your client best too. Like you're like, okay, I realize, you know, where they're at right now. Here's where we need to get them with the look. And then also, like you said, progression of pictures too. Like obviously image, the images are going to be pulling out a lot of details. Um, so yeah, I think that's awesome. Thanks Cam for sharing that. For sure. And again, that's another reason why progress photos, you know, there's times where in a contest prep, I'll call an athlete and it's almost like, this is progress photo 101. And I've got to pretty much give them a lesson on what exactly it is I need, you know, where we want the lighting, where we want the setting to be, you know, is this a setting where it doesn't matter if we're taking photos at four in the morning or five in the afternoon, you know, can all variables be replicated as best as possible. Um, because again, th those small little changes in lighting or whatever it may be, they can make or break a decision or really how you view a person in their physique. Do you guys like prefer a natural lighting setting? I know like uh, Alberto Nunez from 3DMJ, he likes, he, he like posted a huge video. On, like, here's how you take very similar like what you said, Cam, we're having that call. Like, here's how you take progress pictures. Um, do you guys use that to your advantage? Like specifically on like show day or if they check into the hotel, do you have like a certain, like you want the natural hotel lighting? I know like people are like, I want that anabolic lighting, make them look good. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it makes me take pictures in front of the mirror or in front of the window yeah. so that I have no help with my lights. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I used to, um, I used to have athletes buy like an led light and set up like a tripod. And I came and realized after working with Mr. Paul Asian over here, that it depends on the skin color if you wanna use an LED light or not. Um, usually the lighter skin somebody is, the more it's just gonna wash them out. Um, so it kinda can depend on individuals. Uh, usually I've found that the best lighting is with natural light where everything behind you is as dark as possible. Um, so you have that nice contrast of super bright light shining on you and everything else behind you is dark. Um, and so you don't have any interference with light bleeding in from sides or above you or God forbid behind you. Uh, so I think, you know, in a perfect world, natural lighting with some kind of dark background behind you is usually what, what I feel like is the best in terms of what I can see. Um, but you know, depending on where you are in the year in terms of with sunrise, sundown and people's jobs and lives, that's not always the case. Um, so sometimes you can kind of play around with it and figure out nat natural light or interior lighting that works out well. But I think the main thing is just making sure that one, the light's not behind you. 
and it's not over you and it's shining on you and whatever you've got around you is, you know, turned off or dark. Yeah, for sure. All right. So guys, let's talk about, um, about one or two more questions here. Um, so have you had an athlete on stage specifically where let's say like their, their peaking didn't go as well. And you know, you had several shows, um, where you improved it and then you're setting yourself up for the off season. Um, how do you communicate, you know, moving as a progression, as a coach in the off season to improve them for next year when they're setting some goals of like, okay, here's where you're, you know, you did really well. Here's your peaking. This is what we want. But what are the variables that you want to push towards for the next show? Do you want to give them a solid off season where it's one to two uh, years? And is that different working with a full-time athlete or um, would you say like a one-time competitor? So I guess that was a really long question, but you know, what is your preferred off season for your athletes is what I'm trying to get at based on, you know, their competition, like whether they're IFBB pro or they are trying to go to the Olympia or versus your one-time competitor. Paul, Paul's our big off season, man. So what, what you got, Dr. Meat? Yeah, I, th I think Cam will have some really good stuff to contribute to this, to be honest, because I, I feel like he's completely rearranged um, how he likes for uh, people to be set up for prep. And a lot of that work is together. But um, so in terms of just going to your question, in terms of how long of an off-season post-show, it really just depends on how much they have to improve. You know, um, if somebody has a lot more room in their weight cap um, or their class or whatever, or they want to go up a weight class or into a new division, you know, we're probably going to want something like two, two plus years, right? Um, if somebody's close to their weight cap, they, they may compete the next year or take something like a year and a half off, um, you know, however it relates to their schedule. Because, and I guess I'll get into the enhanced thing, um, something, and, you know, depending on their experience level, just in general with like lifting and competing or experience level with, um, you know, being enhanced and supplementation and all that, uh, I like to have people go in with the expectation, hey, for you to look very different, it's probably going to take two or three cycles, right? two or three 16 to 20 week cycles. And if we're cruising for eight to 16 week between each of those, like we're already talking about two cycles taking at least a year before we even start prep, three cycles, a year and a half before we even start prep because we have to worry about health and making sure that their health is in line before we engage in that prep from that last sort of growing phase. Um, because a lot of people, I guess, just have a misconstrued misconstrued perception of what it takes to to look very different the next time you get on stage and i know something that um cam and dom will probably expand on some too is that that we've went into this this sort of current off season is uh trying to get people to start their preps leaner like that's huge for um improving them from show to show competitive year to competitive year just because we we've seen a lot of you know what what negative impacts 
and the negative outcome that can come out of having somebody having to rush somebody through a prep. Yeah. Do you guys want to get in on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, a lot of it stemmed through uh, Paul actually competed this year, and it's probably him competing and sacrificing him, his body and life for like 40 weeks that he put into the show was probably one of the best things that could have ever happened for our coaching because we've learned so much from it. Um, him being on the inside of things and being able to really give feedback for us and then us really be able to put a lot of pieces together and confirm, you know, some of our theories that we've had as, as to things and why they happen or whatever it may be. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of it that I really – was able to conclude and take and move forward from was being able to start preps leaner with athletes, um, setting up for all those kind of things that we talked about earlier at four to five weeks out where you can start playing around with those things. Um, but a, a big thing that, you know, it, it, starting someone leaner is a result of, you know, being able to teach somebody how to hold a leaner body weight, you know, potentially lowering someone's settling point if possible um throughout an off season so that when it comes time for a contest prep holding leaner body weights isn't a territory that's new to them um you know having little mini diets in an off season where you know let, let's say they've got the 16 week cycle plan where it's their final one before they start a prep they might have a small dieting period before that and really that's kind of like a part one of their contest prep even though it might be 40 weeks away that's kind of like the first, like, okay, we're knocking off like 10, 15 pounds of fat here and going to try our best to keep it off. Um, and not only does that make for a more optimal contest prep, but that allows me as a coach and the athlete to kind of knock out some of those little kinks and small things and human error that we might not really be prepared to come across until they get there. Um, and also allows for the athlete to practice coming out of a diet. Um, because they're not being pushed into a circumstance where their first time exiting a diet is, you know, where they're barely alive. They're so lean and have been dieting for four or five months um, where I, I don't know anybody who their first diet <laughs> is going to successfully exit a contest prep if they truly got lean. Um, so that, that's something that uh, lately has definitely been super neat is just, you know, having those those athletes starting a little bit leaner kind of takes some pressure off my shoulders going into a contest prep. And I know that that athlete has learned and acquired some new skills throughout the process. Um, and then kind of back to your question in terms of like, how do you set up an off season length and duration? Um, you know, one of the first things, especially if it's a first time competitor or maybe someone's first time competing in a pro league, you know, that first time on stage, I really try and drill into the athlete's head. Like the main focus and win here is you looking your best and having fun because this first show is an assessment. Um, you know, like with Jarrett going into Chicago, our goal was top 10. And, you know, at the end of the day, we both said like, yo, even if you don't get top 10, like if we know your peak and you look good and it's your best look, like that's a win. Cause at the end of the day, that first show, it's really kind of going to determine where we go from there. You know, it shows like where do they stand on a national level or, you know, a pro stage where it's hard to tell sometimes until you're right up there next to them. You know, Instagram's either going to make people look 
really great or not so good. Um, and sometimes you don't know until they're up there around them. And, you know, getting that visual feedback and being able to kind of accept reality of like, you know, you just got third call outs at like nationals, like we need some time off. Like we're not where we thought we were. Um, and, you know, judge feedback helps as well. Um, you know, I think you can re you can assess if you're going to push for another show or an off season, if the improvements that are needed to be made, you know, if you can do those things acutely or whether it be like getting leaner or just perfecting a peak or whether it be, you know, you need 15 more pounds on your frame. Like you're not doing that in six weeks to your next show <laughs> without getting fat, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think that's really good that you highlight that. Like the overall biggest piece is the assessment. And that I think is the athlete's mindset of, you know, here's your in season. This is an assessment. This is like based on our goals. Like, Hey, truthfully, like feedback based on your true peak. Cause that's ultimately what it is, is your best peak is more important than anything. Truthfully at the end of the day. I mean, I try to convey that with competitors. I know winning is obviously very motivating, but like at the end of the day, if you can look your best and you can nail that peak, like you're like, or get closer. I know we were talking about like 95, 99%, like you closer, you get to that. Like that's just more confidence in the next season and following um, competitive career. So, but yeah, if you guys want to keep going, I absolutely want to hear Dom, your viewpoint too. Yeah. Um, so what Cam was talking about, we actually did with me uh, during like, uh, I live in Michigan, so lockdowns are pretty tough here. Um, so I didn't have much training accessibility or anything. And I kind of took the time just to like relax. I'm a newlywed. We kind of just, you know, hung out and chilled and ate and kind of just de-stressed really. Um, and then I, I've been friends with Cam for a while and Paul. So like, I remember reaching out and I said, you know, well, you guys coach me. I wasn't a part of the team yet. I was just doing my own thing. And then they took me on as a client. And then, uh, so we dieted me down just on TRT. Uh, we dieted me down pretty lean, actually. Um, I lost almost 20 some pounds. But then from that point, we went into like my next growth phase. And then we uh, kept that pretty lean all the way up to the end. Uh, to the point of legs still had lines, hamstrings still had lines, like we stayed pretty lean and it just set me up for this prep now. I'm 11 weeks out Saturday and uh, I mean right after the beginning, Cam pulled a bunch of food out. I dropped like nine pounds and I've been in a diet break for two weeks. So it's beneficial to start leaner because you don't have to push as hard or even like he said, you, my body's just used to holding a leaner physique now. Um, it's not going to fight to give it up or to get fat up now. So I like doing that a lot. Um, I like working with people for a while before I even start a prep, like at least a dieting phase with them just to see how they respond to things. And then um, you're ta talking about like how long an off season should be. Um, I think how far they're trying to climb up the ladder. So if they're like a local competitor, they're still not winning their class on a local level. I think they need a year, two years, maybe even three years to try to just come into their local level, win an overall, and then maybe dabble around with the national level. Um, I think guys that, you know, are knocking at the door of turning pro, first call outs at nationals, things like that, 
you know, they can probably get away with competing every year uh, just because most of the time it's not even a size thing. It's more of like a, you need to be leaner, you need to be drier kind of thing. Um, so, you know, and, and I get backlash from clients sometimes like, what do you mean I shouldn't compete this year? Well, I'm, you know, honestly, I think you need a bunch more muscle. And like Paul said, you can't do that in a year. You need a good amount of time through that all because then you, you run into things with like athletes, like they don't take off season as seriously. They don't train as hard. You know, they have peaks and valleys in their mentality during the whole entire time because they're so addicted to the stage and not having that, that goalpost is so far away from them that it's hard for them to focus on, you know, the off season training, the off season eating, all of those things, which essentially is what changes you. You don't, you know, you lose fat during prep, you look really good at the end of prep, but that's not what's changing. That's not what's putting muscle on you. It's all the time leading up before the prep. And I think, I think people underestimate how much time they need and need to be more honest with themselves that it's not going to take 10 months to my next show or things like that. Um, I, you know, most of the time I tell people, if you don't win an overall, why are you even trying to do a national show? Um, you know, a lot of judges have told me the person who wins the overall is the person they think will compete the best nationally at a local level. So if we're not coming in there, doing that, walking off and going, then are you really ready to be up there? Yeah. So that, that's, that's yeah. my perspective on like what level, you know, they think all that should be like, even, uh, the same judges have told me. Overall winner at local show, the best they think we'll do at a national show. Overall winner at a national show, best they think we'll do at a pro show. So where are you in that scale of things? Are you still not winning your class? Are you winning your class but losing the overall? You know, all that will kind of depend on how much more you actually need to be competitive. I love, I love that. I think that's really, really good assessment. And, and I think, too, again, like, talking about competing year after year and, and kind of falling back onto the mindset that I like to put into athletes of just bringing their best look, right? You get people that are just chasing titles and you see it mostly in the amateur level because they're chasing a pro card. And there's so many times where I'll talk to an athlete and it's like, okay, what's your long-term goal? And, you know, they say, oh, I want to win a pro card. And it's just like, oh, that's where your mind's at, I guess. I guess you're done competing after that then because – you didn't mention anything else after that like and the thing is like people shouldn't chase the title they should just keep chasing improvements and your placing and your titles are only a result of the improvements that you've made you know um again it's just like if you just keep getting better and better and better unless you've just got the world's worst genetics and look like spongebob if you don't stop getting better, you're probably eventually going to win an overall and you're going to win a pro card. Um, so I kind of, and luckily we are extremely fortunate for the athletes that we have and the trust that they put into us to sit patient with things. Um, because, you know, we have people on our team that we've been coaching for one, two years and haven't even stepped on stage yet just because they're still preparing and building for that. And, you know, one thing when I got into coaching and myself competing, kind of a, a mindset that I have towards competing is as an amateur, the only times that I feel somebody should be stepping on stage before a pro qualifier is one, just that first show to make sure you even 
enjoy it, you know, before you go put three years into doing something you don't even enjoy. And then that second one would be qualifying for your national show. Um, you know, there's no, I don't really see much reason to just like, oh yeah, I'm going to go hit a local show this year. If it's not their first show, it's kind of like, you know, like, yeah, we know you've been proved, but like, why you, you don't want to keep getting better? Like, you're taking six months out of your improvement season now just to put towards a show when we know we need more improvements. I, uh, I don't want to beat this to death, but Dom really struck a nerve with me when he mentioned uh, this, the, the peaks and valleys and mindset and having, you know, it's almost like they, they need a show target to have their head in the game. And I don't know if it's, uh, popularity contest or Instagram and uh, pressure from social media. Um, but uh, another sort of thing that I uh, view that I, I want people, if they're listening to this, to sort of consider is, uh, you know, and, and a lot of these individuals, they're in their early mid-20s, right? Like, this is your best opportunity to grow and improve, you know? Like, they're this these are the years that you make your money you don't want to burn four to six months of that every single year like spend some time like pay your dues like when i started lifting there was no men's physique the the, the thought of competing it, it wasn't it wasn't even a thought it's like oh you don't do that till you're huge and uh that's gonna take a, a fucking while i don't even Open know if body I'm gonna get there. not not classic physique huge. <laughs> yeah and uh so, but these days, you know, we, and, and these divisions, you know, they're, they're good and they serve their purpose and stuff and they get more people involved, but now people are in a position where they don't feel like they have to pay their dues. They don't feel like they need the off season, but you do, man, you know, or you're just going to look the same every single year or just slightly better. Um, yeah, 100%. 100%. My thing is, my thing is, is when they do off season, they like cruise for eight weeks and then they go right into a prep. It's like all that tissue you built is so not matured yet that it's going to disappear. The second you start dieting, like why you wasted all this time, all this time dieting to lose anything you did. Yeah. I don't think people realize one, how long that it takes to make true noticeable improvements. And two, what they are going to be going against at a national level. I will never forget the first time I ever went to a national show. Uh, it was last su- or two summers ago in 2019, I think. And I was with a men's physique guy. And I was standing backstage at Universe. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I've never felt so small before in my life. And I'm standing <laughs> with a bunch of men's physique guys. Like, because my first show I did in 2018 and I'm like six foot six one I was 163 on stage and I remember being like okay cool like it's summer of 2018 I'm gonna hit this nice off season and compete at nationals in 2019 that fall and I remember just like as the off season went on I was like oh this ain't happening like (laughs) that's not happening and it's been almost three years now since my show and I'm still like well, on to year number four of off-season. Here we go. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just way too hard to, like, contest prep and getting truly lean, at least for me, it, it's way too hard to not, like, 
just be going at your full best and you know giving it your all and at the highest level of whatever level you're on i love that i like a couple big things i'm on your guys's hype train absolutely with this is like uh, also like taking your off season seriously that's another thing that i want to kind of put out there because people just kind of compete and then they kind of half-ass an off season and then they decide all right i'm trying i'm ready to get back like kind of what like dom was saying with you know they cruise for eight weeks and then boom they're like all right let's get back into it so like taking it truthfully seriously from like what you guys said of like really truly maximize your potential whether that takes you know um two years four years whatever it is and if you're like you said paul like in your age if they're in the age group and they're like early to mid 20s and they're like not paying their dues essentially i love like what you said with that and getting like bodybuilding like uh, like open bodybuilding huge like you know like obviously not everyone's going to get there but like making it at least an effort towards that of maximizing your absolute genetic potential and then also getting on top of that is are uh, using that as a time to go into your next show knowing like hey i'm going to crush whatever level i'm at whether it's local national you know or if you're on the pro stage, you're like, hey, this is, this is it. Like, I put in a lot of work for this. I was more patient. And, you know, it'll probably pay off. So I think you guys absolutely nailed that question. And I think uh, thing, one more little thing on paying your dues is that, like, you know, when you spend a number of years trying to, like, attain a goal and you, you've already gone through all the stages of this was a passion you know, now this is something that, um, you know, eventually it's just something you do. This is what I do. Like you're, you're like, I eat my food, I train, I sleep. Like I check all these boxes that you need to check in your off season. And I've been doing this for a good amount of time. So there isn't that like, Oh, how do I get back into the groove post-show? How do I, how do I focus on this without an immediate target six months in front of me? You know what I mean? Like you instill yeah. all of that. So that it's, it's just, it's what you do, man. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think that's what, uh, I think that's what separates uh, like people who are emotionally invested into this and people who just do it to check off. I competed this year. Like, you know, you see that with people like that don't take things seriously. They're not so emotionally invested in it that they just compete that year just to say, Oh, I did my show this year. I I'm that guy that competes every year. Um, I just got to make sure I compete because that's who I am rather than how emotionally invested are they into their goal? Are they really going to try to put in all that work and prove? I mean, I haven't competed since 2018. This is my, this will be my next show in 2021. So it's been three years and I'm almost 35 pounds heavier. So that didn't happen in a year. It didn't happen in two, you know, it happened in three. But during that entire time, it was, I took it all seriously. I get so emotionally invested into my logbook, into my training, into my food, into everything I do. But I feel like a lot of people just want to compete to say they competed so that year, just to make sure they check that box rather than actually chasing that ultimate goal of, you know, whatever it is, turning pro, or if you just like the challenge competing brings. To me, competing is like that ice cream sundae you get after church when you're a good kid all week long. Like, I don't need it, but it's going to be fun to have. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I kind of view competing too, like, 
and what I would consider an athlete's prime is, you know, at a pro level, when you're placing in the top 10 and you're fighting consistently and you're in the running or as an amateur, like as Dom was saying, you know, you're in that first call out every time, like it, you're, you're already there. You're just fighting for that top final percent, you know, until you're at that point as an athlete, all a stage should be, if you are getting on stage is kind of just like a, an assessment and a checkpoint of like, okay, you know, we took three years to grow. This is where we stand, you know, back into it. Um, but kind of, kind of like paying, paying your dues and stuff, you know, like Paul was saying, it's kind of like, you know, somebody trains for two years and automatically wants a pro card and wants to go to a national show. It's kind of like, you know, do you do three semesters in your undergrad and then want to go ahead and jump into a thesis for a master's? It's like, no, like, yeah. I mean, you're in school for God knows how long. It's like, it's because you needed to be in school that long, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. I also like kind of the way that you guys frame it with the time period with, you know, you're working for something that's bigger than just the outcome or just stepping on a stage. You know, you're working for a bigger purpose. And I think the, the mindset with that is also good to talk with your competitors about too. Um, I know we had Ryan on here talk about that with first-time competitors on our podcast where he was, he was really mentioning that, like asking them, you know, what's your bigger purpose besides just <laughs> stepping on stage for Instagram? You know what I mean? So I think like you, what you guys say is your bigger purpose, what drives you. Cause like, like Dom, like you said, like, you know, you're investing one, one to three years in your off season, what you did of just diving in and like checking off the boxes or like Paul said, like, you know, you know, this is what you do is your grind. This is your, your job almost, <laughs> you know, you're putting in, like you're bringing the toolbox work to, to absolutely just show off uh, of, you know, here's my work every single day. But I love what you guys all said. So thank you for all sharing your, your different outlooks and, and stuff with that. But uh, anything else you guys want to add? I mean, we could go for hours. But. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. So last thing here, guys, before I let you guys go, um, is there anything else that you guys want to mention here before we – I want to respect your guys' time because especially, like you said, we go on forever. But is there anything else that you want to throw a plug in or anything before I let you guys go here today? Shout out to all our people over at Gifted Performance and our bomb-ass athletes. <laughs> we appreciate y'all. Yeah. Yeah, you can uh... – we, we have like content and different things on the website. Check out the Gifted Performance Instagram too. That's where we put like most of our content. Yeah, man. All right, guys. So what I'll do is I'll also include that in our show notes. So if you guys are listening, check out their page. You can also check out our page too as well. We love our athletes as well. But biggest thing here is I can't thank you guys enough. Thanks for being on the podcast here today. We got to explore some peaking techniques and some ideas here and also a little philosophy along the way i love it yes. thanks for all having us absolutely all right all right guys well you guys take care and uh last thing here i'll try to get this posted out um here pretty soon and then i'll let you guys know once i post it so yep. just like and share it <laughs> absolutely thanks for having us man
Absolutely, man. All right. You guys take care. Have a good rest of your day. And uh, I, I can't wait to touch base with you guys here pretty soon. Okay. Yep. Thanks, man. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our amazing coaches discuss the depths of prep and bodybuilding peaking strategies today. If this brings value to you, please like or share our podcast. In order for us to improve our podcast, please give a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions about how we can improve um, our podcast, please let us know by messaging us. Lastly, please give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at WPB Consulting. And thank you to our listeners for supporting our mission to bring clarity to coaching. Without your support, we couldn't have our podcast here today.